So today we're ready for Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. If you are following along in your Bibles, that's where we're at. Uh, I want to give you one announcement. Uh, This announcement is that I am finally finished with my fence. I know, it's it's been a long process. I've talked about it in my sermons and I've used them. Uh, my, my struggles building a fence is illustrations, and it's taken way longer than it should have, ha- should have taken, but it's done now. And you know, if there was one word that I could use to describe my whole fence building process, it would be entangled. Entangled. Uh, Webster's Dictionary says that to be entangled is to be interwoven wrapped or twisted together in such a manner as not to be easily extricated. Let me put that in simpler terms. Uh, To be entangled means to be caught up to where you can't get out easily. It seems like when I was building my fence, I was in a perpetual state of being entangled in something. Sometimes it was the briars or the thorn bushes that would grab hold of my jeans. And there were stretches of the old fence that I probably didn't even need to replace because there were so many uh, briars and thorn trees there that the horses and cattle couldn't have got through anyway. I surely couldn't get through them. But I knew they had to be removed. And so I'd start cutting to get them away from where my new fence needed to be. Uh, two cuts forward with my chainsaw uh, resulted in, in two cuts that I had to turn around to get free of being entangled from all of the thorns and briars. Just last week, I was cut, cutting down a big old locust tree that was in the fence line, and it was probably this big around. And uh, I, had, I had started cutting it, and, and I had tied a chain as far as I could reach up on the tree, about eight foot, um, and tied it to a skid steer so that I could cut it a little bit, and then we could pull it down off of the fence. That was the plan, anyway. We couldn't pull it because I hadn't cut enough, so I went in there to cut more, and I had uh, one of my kids, I think Lexi, pull the skid steer forward so the chain was on the ground. It was loose so that I could cut it and it wouldn't have any tension on it. Well, I cut a little too much, and it started falling the opposite way that I wanted to go. It was no problem, though. I dropped my chainsaw, turned around, and started to quickly move away, except for the briars uh, caught hold of my jeans again and tripped me. It happened uh, a bunch of times before, but this time um, I had landed right on top of the chain that was still connected to the rapidly falling tree and the skid steer. Uh, I didn't realize it, though, until I was flipped up into the air and upside down as the chain tightened and whipped me up. Landed on my back, um, and uh, I was not hurt, uh, not bad anyway. That seems to be the whole theme of my fence-building process, being entangled by the briars and the thorns. And then there was the barbed wire that was always tangled around my legs and the axle of my tractor. And after I got the thorn bushes and trees and, and the old wire out of the way, 
I thought I was finished with all the tangled mess. And we stretched out five wires on the ground next to the fence posts. Each wire was about a quarter mile long. And I attached them at both ends, and me and the kids and my wife set to work putting the wire on the insulators on the posts. Now, I know you guys have built fence before. They're probably telling me you don't run all five of them at one time. You go one at a time. Well, I know that now. <laughs> Should have told me that last week. So here we are, a quarter mile of, of, of lines, uh, five wires, and as we start putting them on the posts, they turn out to be all entangled with one another, all wrapped around and twisted, and what a mess. The thorns, the briars, the locusts, hedge trees, barbed wire, and the occasional log chain can entangle a person if they are not dealt with correctly. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul warns us of some things in life that will entangle you. And he tells us how to deal with them. Let me show you the list. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 9. Paul says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. He says, Don't be greedy. Don't be an idolater. And he goes on, says, get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, and don't lie to each other. What a list. What a list. Now, there may be some of you uh, here today who have never had the experience of dealing with thorns and barbed wire, but every one of us have been snagged or caught up in one of these traps right here. Just look at this list. Now, I'm pretty sure all of us have scars of where these thorns have dug into our flesh and made wounds in our lives. Every one of these things that Paul has listed here is a razor-sharp, poison-tipped thorn that will entangle you and pull you down if you don't handle it correctly. So how do we handle these sinful, evil desires? How do we handle them correctly? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sight on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Set your sights. Now, if you guys are firearms enthusiasts, or if you've ever hunted before and learned the proper handling of guns, you'll know that rule number one of safe firearms handling is to never aim at something that you don't intend to hit. Watch your muzzle. Make sure it's pointed in the direction that you mean it to be pointing. So here's the list. If you've pulled the trigger on any one of these and hit it, that means 
you were aiming at it. Colossians 1 and 2 is to set your sights on the realities of heaven. The things of heaven are what we are to think about, not the things of the earth. Which we know what those things are. We, Paul just listed a bunch of them there for us. We need to quit aiming at sinful things of the earth and start aiming at the realities of heaven. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that if you run a race to win, if you run a race, then you need to run it to win. And if you win, if you want to win, you need to keep your eyes on the finish line. Paul also says in his his, uh, referring to the person who is running a race, I don't know if you remember not too long ago, but uh, uh, I did a sermon to where you, you have to gird up your loins. The idea there that Paul says is that uh, the men who would wear clothes that were too long when they would run, you need to get those clothes uh, out of your way so that you could run fast and get to your destination. Interestingly enough, the word that Paul uses to get the clothes out of your way to gird up is the same word as used here which means entangled do not be entangled by anything that keeps you from winning the race the reality is that heaven is the bless the best place ever there's no place better than heaven no matter how good we think we have it here on earth it is in uncomparable and we want to go there at least i hope all of us want to get to heaven so we need to set our sights on heaven our lord and savior jesus should be our focus and we've got to keep that in our sights so that the things of this world does not entangle us Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. In your heart. Oh, we we put a lot of things inside of us. And sometimes that that list that we just seen, the, the anger and the rage and the immorality, the impurity, the evil desires... We put these things in our hearts and then we wonder why we continue to make bad decisions and sometimes hurt others, often hurt others. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Jesus is saying it's important to set your sights on what you want, to aim at what you want to have. Think about David. Remember, he took his sights off of the Lord and set them on a married woman, Bathsheba. And when he did that, the thorns of sin dug into him and entangled him. And he sinned. And he paid for that here on this earth. Now, of course, The Lord is a Lord of mercy and grace. 
But David did not go without his punishment here in this world. David's son Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22, an evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch hold of him, trap him. His own sins held captive. Solomon also said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 through 27, he's, he's speaking on behalf of God, speaking to him, look straight ahead. He says, fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Don't get sidetracked. Uh, look look ahead. Look ahead. It reminds me of... of, of my son, when he was driving his mini bike, and and I watch him, and he wants to see me excited about how good he's driving, and so he's looking at me. Hey, Dad! He's looking at me the whole time. I mean, drives like hundred feet, and I'm like, look forward, look forward, you know. And he's not thinking about it, but to us who've done this kind of a thing, we say it's it's dangerous to not look where you're going. Who knows what you might run over or hit? Folks, Paul says, set your sights. Look straight ahead here. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. And I, I love that that says the realities of heaven because sometimes we talk of heaven as a place that is a fairy tale or, or a myth or at least something that we just hope for but we don't actually uh, realize that it's a real place. And we must realize that, that it's a real place. And it is uh, a place that we aim to go. And the second way to correctly handle uh, sinful, evil desires is to put them to death. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says, Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with them. And then right after that comes that list that I've been showing you. Have nothing to do with them. Put them to death. This reminds me of what God told Cain right before he killed his brother Abel. If you remember the story, it's, it's a heartbreaking story. Uh, Come harvest time, Abel gave God the best portions of his firstborn. But Cain, the scripture says Cain gave some of his crops to God. Not the best or the firstborn, just some. And God, he, he basically tells Cain, he says, Cain, You can do better than that. Well, Cain, he began to stew. And he began to get angry. And then God said to him, Genesis 4, verse 7, Watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. God tells Cain, look out, here it comes, subdue 
it. Don't let it control you. Now, I, I hope you have never heard this, this following phrase uh, in, in your own personal life. Maybe you've seen it on TV or you've heard of somebody else saying it, but probably the worst thing that you could ever say to a member of your family or a, one of your friends is that they are dead to you. I've seen a, 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 a show, a movie, um, not too long ago, to where a family member was so angry, so frustrated, so done with the, their, uh, their significant other, their, their wife, that, that he said, you are dead to me, because she had wronged him so much. It means that they are no longer welcome in your life. You will have nothing to do with them. They have no influence over you at all anymore. Now that's the worst thing that you can tell your friend or your family member. But it is the best thing that you can say to sin. You are dead to me. This is why Paul says, put these evil desires, this sinful nature to death. Don't let them control you. You control them by pushing them out of your life. They are no longer welcome in your life. You won't have anything to do with them, and they have no influence over you anymore. And jujitsu. Uh, before we actually get into the, the actual rolling and the wrestling and the fighting of it, um, we sometimes play a warm-up game, and it's called uh, guard or mount. Because these are the two main positions in jiu-jitsu. If you are in mount, you are on top and you have control of the other person. If you are in guard, you're usually on bottom and you are trying to prevent yourself from getting twisted in half or something like that. So guard or mount, uh, a defense or offense, it's the same thing. It all has to do with who is in control at that particular minute. Who is in control? In your life, who is in control? Is it you and the Savior who you've invited into you? Or is it your sinful nature? Who is in control? Our scripture tells us to put the sinful desires to death. You be in control. You tell those sinful natures that they are dead to you. Do not let them entangle you. Now let's review. Number one, you set your sights. <clears throat> you set your sights on heaven, on Jesus. This is the way to correctly handle these sinful desires. And number two, you put sinful desires to death by controlling them and not letting them control you. And number three, you put on the new life. So you strip off these sinful desires. You strip them off. Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 9 through 10. It says, For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds, and so now it's time to put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator 
and become like him. So these things, this list, they used to control you. But not anymore. Because you have set your sights higher and you have put them to death. And now you have a new nature. A new nature. Here's what the new nature looks like. Tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. How beautiful is that? I, I love this list. The, this is the kind of person that I want to hang out with. This is the kind of person that I want to spend time with my kids to influence them. This is the kind of person that I want to be. These words that Paul lists here, how wonderful they are. This is Jesus. And here's how to be more like Jesus. You set your sights on Him. You put your sinful nature to death and you strip off the old life and put on this new life. Put on the new life. Now, do you know what it means to live the new life? Well, number one, it means that you have accepted Jesus as your Savior. He's already paid for your sin. If you've accepted Him as your Savior, then that sin is gone then you can put to death that sin every day. So new life means you can forget those things that entangle you and pull you back. And number two, it means that you're starting to look like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 through 24. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, and instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Created to be like God. Now my, my wife, when she was in, in high school, uh, she was she was good at everything. I mean, she still is actually, but she, she was always a straight A student. As a matter of fact, I think she's told me I forget, but like 4.0, I thought was as good as you can get. But she was like, no, I had a 4.7 or something. I don't even know how that's possible, but uh, she was good at at volleyball, at sports, at everything she did. She seemed to excel at, and all the other kids in high school. They uh, would uh, tell her things like, well, she must be a goddess. And uh, they looked up to her. Maybe it was looking up to her. Maybe they were jealous, probably envious. But she was so good at everything else and the best at everything. And I, 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 think, I think it went to her head back then. Her relationship with God at that point, wasn't the greatest, if we could say that. But some years later, uh, before I met her, 
She put on God and she put Him first in her life. She accepted Him as a ruler, as the ruler of her life, and now she is a new person, completely different person. And I see Jesus in her all the time. I didn't know her back in her high school days. But I'm positive that she looks a whole lot more like God now than when her classmates were calling her a goddess. That's part of putting on our new nature. We get entangled by things of this earth. And sometimes we even jump into the entanglement. But we don't have to be. We strip it off. And we put on the new. You know, if we don't, if you uh, take off uh, your, your clothing and don't put on new clothing, then you haven't gained anything. You have to put on the new life. Put on the new. So, what does it mean to live the new life? It means you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. He's paid for your sin. Number two, uh, it means that you're starting to look like Jesus. That's our, our point. We want to look more like Him. And number three, we get heaven. Set your sights on it. Set your sights. Dial in the finish line, eternity in heaven. And don't become entangled. Put to death the sinful nature Strip it off, put on the new, and look forward to eternal life in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much uh, that you died uh, for us, that you raised yourself from death, God. You brought your son up out of the grave so that we could be raised into heaven, Lord. Lord, I praise you for that. I thank you so much for all the blessings that you offer to us. Lord, now I I pray that as as we go our separate ways from this building, that that you will guide us and make us bold for doing your work. Lord Jesus, thank you that all the things that entangle us, you give us strength over them.